Hey, everyone. Welcome to Inside the Journey podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Abby. And today we have a really great episode. We want to kind of go a little bit deeper into our individual um, fertility journeys and like kind of give you guys a little more context on the specific things that we struggle with. So that way, if any of you guys are listening in and maybe you've been diagnosed or you suspect that you might have any of these issues, you can feel free to ask us questions in the Facebook group. Um, and then, you know, in future episodes, if we don't answer anything in a certain episode, we can kind of talk a little bit more on that. So I guess I'll go first. I'll kind of just talk yeah, a little sure. bit about, okay, perfect. So, um, I am almost 33 now and basically I guess I've been struggling with infertility a lot longer than I thought I have, but as many of you guys probably can relate, um, we don't really know until we either start trying to get pregnant or something happens. So in my case, something happened where my husband and I, we never prevented after we got married. I mean, to be honest with you, we didn't really prevent when we weren't married either, but um, we, <laughs> full transparency, but we didn't um, ever have any thoughts of like wanting to have kids until we were about the age of like until the age we got married. And then my husband, he had said multiple times that he really, he never knew if he wanted kids or didn't want kids. It wasn't like a, a fact of like, we, we both wanted to make sure that we were financially stable enough to have kids. So we just really weren't in a position right when we got married to like, just try and start a family. So sure. even though we didn't use birth control, we, didn't, we tried to, we, and we didn't know anything about fertility. Like I know now, like I wasn't tracking my cycle or anything. We kind of just crossed our fingers. Nothing would happen. Well, then you'd see what happens now of to give a little bit of context. I went through a scenario where I had a really bad bout of um, sleep deprivation after a puppy, our very first Belgian Malinois that we got, he was basically passing away and I could sense it. I knew something was happening to him, but no one believed me. And it was crazy because this is all going to tie in. So just stick with me. But <laughs> I was told that like the, what was happening to me was similar to what new mothers can have, where it's called baby blues, but they call it puppy blues, where new moms of new infants can tend to get very high alert and they're their sensory stuff kind of goes out of whack because like if they have, have a the sick baby, yeah, like it's like this because this is this new life that you're responsible for. Yeah. And I never, I mean, I'd always had dogs, but they were never my sole responsibility. This was, this was my first puppy. It was my, it wasn't my mom or anybody else taking care of it. It was me. And I could sense something was wrong with him. But anyways, so long story short, I ended up, and maybe for another podcast day, I'll go deeper into this story if anyone wants to know, but totally in and out of hospitals, medicated, long story short, was basically put on a few different antipsychotics and antidepressant medication, basically told that I needed to knock out for like weeks, like be asleep and not be bothered. So I went up to the Sequoias with my, to my grandmothers and I was away from my husband. I couldn't be around my husband, the smell of him, this, the, it's like everything about my home, everything just sent me over the edge. Like I couldn't be around stuff. Well, we came back. I was on the medications. I was very on very strict rules not to have any television around me, anything that could be st stimulatory. <clears throat> so needless to say, we weren't getting it on, if you know what I mean. That's where this is all coming in. But 
I didn't pay, remember this. I mean, I remembered it, but I was like, I guess there was one night where we just did end up having sex, but it was nothing like, you know, it was just yeah. like maybe a minute long, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> You're Every married person knows what I'm talking about. Like you don't have to have some like extra, like, I feel like if someone doesn't have sex or isn't married, they might not know what I'm talking about, but like, literally there can be times where like, okay, like, oh, we had sex, but it wasn't anything that was like, oh, we're going to play in this, whatever. So, but mind you, the reason why, hold on, I got you for a second because there's this story that's like famous in my family where and this this will make sense in a second it's like i don't even remember who this was it was like somebody that my grandparents knew or something that said they were talking to this guy and he was saying that like it was around christmas time and he was like my favorite like thing that my wife does for me on christmas is the christmas quickie and they were like, what? This is like, he's like a very, I come from a, an LDS, like a Mormon background. And so they were like, what? Like, that's not something that you just like talk about with people, even if you're not LDS, but like, especially, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, yeah. oh, Christmas quickie. Like, what are you talking about? And they finally figured out after a long time that he meant a quiche. Because <laughs> she like <laughs> makes a quiche on Christmas morning every year. I can't breathe. <laughs> Christmas quickie. And so that's what we, we refer to it as that a lot. It's a, a Christmas quickie. <laughs> I'm dying. Okay. That would be, especially cause that's not what you mean. That would be, yeah. oh my God. I cannot even Anyways. handle that. That's, but that's what, okay. So like, just so you guys know, like the reason I'm bringing that up is because obviously we all know you have to have sex to, I don't know if we're allowed to say that on podcasts because I don't know if they'll flag yeah, us for right. things, but I know they might flag us on YouTube. So who knows? Yeah, but if um, they, we could maybe bleep it, but um, <laughs> you know, do the deed it has to happen to get pregnant. So right. I, sorry if I was just yelling at you, I just took one of my headphone ears off because I think I talk oh, too loud when I have it off, but they have basically in a nutshell, um, it was just one time. And my sister, I have a twin. She found out she was pregnant, told me, and then jokingly just said, you should take a test too. And I'm like, there's no way like Kyle and I aren't getting on. There's no whatever. And then I was like, Oh wait, you know, we did one time a few weeks ago, but that there's no way. Sure as heck. I was pregnant Something inside. You told you to take the test. Something anyway. <laughs> told me to just take it anyways. And I actually, this is, this is shows how like green I was to fertility stuff because I called my sister back. I'm like, no, there's a faint line there, but I'm not pregnant. And she's like, dude, that's what pregnant means. Like if there's a faint line at all, that's like that line. means you're pregnant. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit. I didn't know that. So, um, yeah, found out I was pregnant. Everything seemed, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel sick, but I went in and I was instantly taken to, I was instantly required to go and see a specialist, um, a high risk pregnancy doctor because of all the medications I was on. So I saw that doctor. He instantly told me I needed to get off all medications, cold Turkey. And if anyone knows anything about antipsychotics, specifically one that I was on called Seroquel, it's a very, very dangerous drug to just stop cold Turkey. But I did because in my head, it was weird. I went from a moment of like being in such a bad depression and just like, 
I was so scared to not ever take these medications. I thought that I was going to be on them for the rest of my life because I never wanted to feel how I felt before. To the second I found out I was pregnant, I was like, whatever I need to do for my child, I'll do. So I was like, what? okay, I'll take it. And I was so sick. And about what scared me was because in this sleep deprivation moment, and again, we'll go more into this in another time, but I ended up losing a lot of weight. Well, when I took out, stopped taking those medications, the nausea hit the morning sickness hit and I, again, lost a lot of weight. So first thing happened, I, yeah. And so again, long story short, this, there's going to be an episode where we'll probably go way deeper into this, but I just want to give you guys the pinpoints of what happened to how I got diagnosed was the very first diagnosis I got was I got diagnosed with endometriosis because unfortunately my pregnancy ended up becoming or didn't become, it was ectopic, which means if you don't know what that means, it means that the Pregnancy is somewhere not in the uterus. A lot of people think it means just in the fallopian. Yeah, a lot of people think it just means that it's in your tube, but no, there can be an ectopic pregnancy that attaches to your cesarean scar. It can be in other places. Mine particularly was in my left fallopian tube. And again, and I'm just going to say this to just kind of put a, a trigger warning out there. So be cautious listening to the rest of this statement if you don't want to. But there's a lot of things that you will be informed of that will probably make you sad, hurt. Like when you find out you have an ectopic, depending on the doctors, I will just going to say that I was basically told there is still a heartbeat. I was told they showed me pictures of the actual baby. They show like, you can see the little, the, you can see the little fetus, all that stuff. So it's a trigger warning. And I just, the reason I want to put this out here is because I want to, if anyone ever thinks that they're having an ectopic immediately go to a doctor. But if you are scared, if they say that you need surgery and they want let them know ahead of time that you do not want to see pictures that you don't want to see stuff, because if you don't say that they will show you this stuff, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't, so it was very traumatizing, but at the same time from the stuff that I had just gone through with my like mental breakdown, yeah. it almost, I was almost more grateful to be alive. So I wasn't really focused oh, on what God. I, and what I now kind of focus on, which is the sadness of the situation. So in that yeah. surgery, they found extensive bleeding and that was their sign to test for endometriosis. And when the doctor came in after my surgery, his very first words to me were, yep, you definitely have endometriosis. Um, and you know, we're going to have you rest up here, but your husband and you, you and your husband can start trying again in about three months. And that was all he said. And okay. I was like, okay. And that literally was all he said. Seems now like again, it's very weird. And that's why I really want to do a whole separate episode where, so if anyone has questions about the ectopic and how that all went about and how I helped myself yeah, we'll find out that I was having one. On yes. We'll dive deeper on that, but that's where, so I got diagnosed with endometriosis and this is where it started my whole journey of, um, I found another doctor that said I had to have an HSG, which is a histiosalpingogram. It's the, it's the tube test where they put dye and it's, in I my opinion, it's a torture test. It's the most painful. There's a lot of women. I think both of us have actually done posts on this where we've asked people their experience and there's, and it comes from both sides. There's people who say they've had no issues with it. And there's some people who say yeah. it's the most excruciating pain they've ever experienced in their life. So yeah. got a bunch of those tests done, found out that 
the very first one I got, they said, yep, they were blocked, but don't worry, we unblocked them. Well, I was so hopeful that that was it. And nope, about a couple months, like about six months went by, nothing happened. Then I sought out a fertility specialist for about another six months. We did, you know, letrozole, Clomid, all the things. Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed at that point also when they decided to test my AMH, which is stands for anti-malarian hormone. I was diagnosed with low ovarian reserve because it came back at like a 1.02. And I remember at that point was when I just almost lost it because I was everything I'd heard about AMH just like, oh, great. Now I'm never going to have kids. I've learned a lot since then. So that's another topic we'll go more into um, later. But it, don't don't identify with your numbers. Like that's one thing I can say. But yes. um since my so then kind of moving forward, I had um I found a nook specialist doctor, which stand it's if you look, if you have endometriosis, you're gonna want to look at look up Nancy's Nook in the face and it's on Facebook. Maybe we can leave a, a link in the show notes. Um, yeah. That is where you're definitely going to want to look if you feel like you might have endometriosis. If you go and get any kind of surgery, you do it through an, a nook specialist. Do not go through any other doctor. And if any doctor says they're going to do ablation, run. You don't want ablation. You want excision. So oh, these are things that, yeah, because ablation basically just burns off the surface of the endo. Excision grabs it from the root. Unfortunately, there is no cure for endo. But if you're going to get the surgery, you don't want to, it's kind of like, Ablation is like putting on a Band-Aid and then excision is like literally trying to go at the root. There still might be weeds that pop back up, but there it's a, it's a more extensive way to really like get the disease out of you um, as best they, they can. Too that like the only way to really be diagnosed with endometriosis is by having a surgery. So the only official way as of right now, that's like, the gold standard is um, a laparoscopic procedure. So that's what basically they did for me with my excision surgery or with my, um, and with my ectopic, ectopic pregnancy is they, they were opening me up anyways. Let's, sure. let's test. Let's but if say you're somebody who hasn't gotten pregnant and you're thinking you might have endo, there is most of the time they're going to say a laparoscopic procedure needs to happen in order to see if you have it. However, I will say there's been enough, there's been a lot of research out there that has said that there are potential other ways to identify potential endometriosis. I will say that surgery is not always for everyone. Just because you have endometriosis does not mean you aren't going to get you pregnant. Have to have surgery. Okay. You have to have surgery. Surgery is a big undertaking. And so I just want to put that out there, but I will say surgery has just been the right options for me. I'm actually going to be getting another surgery soon. Um, and I don't do it just for fertility. It's also for my own pain. I definitely did feel much better after I had, so kind of fast forwarding again. And I also, to lead up to this, I've always had very painful periods and to the point where I was always told it was normal, but obviously when this happened, you know, and what's funny is I was, all, I was told that you potentially have endometriosis when I was like 15 years old and I was just put on birth control. No one ever told me it would affect my fertility. No one ever told Sounds me anything. Familiar. So, and I know we've, I will say this, that this will probably be another talk. This is kind of a good conversation to have later is that I'm not saying this is for everybody, but if you do get diagnosed with some of these diseases, when you're young, 
it can be something to look into if you financially can afford it to look into egg freezing and things that can be more preventative when you're younger. It might not be for everyone, but that is something that sometimes I get asked, like, what advice would you give somebody when they're younger? Sometimes I, I think to myself, I would either advise if you can afford it, egg freezing when you're young or start working with a naturopath or somebody who can help you have, you know, regulated blood sugar and manage your symptoms and all that stuff. Cause if the disease doesn't take over and our, and unfortunately our lifestyle can make it worse, that's where happens. So then literally I, so I was, so that's what I have going on. I have diminished ovarian reserve with a very low AMH. I had, I have sought out a Nancy's nook specialist. I got my very first excision surgery. And unfortunately with surgery, they did do stuff on my ovaries with the idea that the disease around my ovaries is going to bring down the quality of my eggs. But that also brought down, I want to just be clear what happened for me. So, so everyone knows what happens that brought my AMH down to like a 0.4. But I will say that, and that almost crushed me because then I thought, oh my God, now I'm never going to be able to have kids, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're, again, this is why I don't identify with the number. It's crazy how the body can um, heal itself, how the body can, you can do things to really help yourself. So just please don't panic and freak out if, if you get certain diagnoses. Exactly. Like just try to like, see what you can do for yourself. And ultimately the more you can be yourself healthy, but in that surgery, that's where they diagnosed me with a stage. They said I was about a stage three to four endo. And then they also diagnosed me with another medical condition called adenomyosis, which is basically like endometriosis, but it's in the, it's in the actual muscle of the uterine wall. And that's unfortunate. There's no way to actually excise or do anything with that. The only way to get, and that's why adenomyosis can only be removed through hysterectomy, but in, just to put it out there, because people probably get the wrong information, you cannot get rid of endo from a hysterectomy. That's why sometimes the, I know it sounds like crazy, but sometimes working with people who can do the things that help, like I personally really am really big into like acupuncture and stuff like that. The things that can help the issues, which is like lack of blood flow, a lot of stagnation in the pelvic area, looking into modalities that do that. Exactly. So then after that surgery was when we moved into IVF, that's where we looked a little bit deeper into some of my hormone levels. I found out I have Hashimoto's. So that's another issue I have, but I'm again, We'll go more in depth to these things, but I kind of wanted to give you guys just a little highlight of the, the particular issues I'm dealing with so that if you can maybe relate to any of these things, you can feel comfortable to ask questions. And again, I'm never going to offer medical advice, but I can share from my own experience the things that I've maybe done to be helpful and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And I think kind of our, our idea going into this episode is to both of us just share a little bit more of our, our stories with infertility. And then we can do another episode where we kind of give advice on like, maybe here's when to go see a doctor. Here are the tests to ask for, for like these specific conditions. If you think you might have X, Y, Z. Um, yes. Yeah. This one, we wanted to keep a little more brief and a little bit more like personal about like what we've gone through and what we're going to go through. And then in the future, we'll do more. That's like, maybe a little more advice based, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just information for you guys to maybe use yeah. for yourself. 
totally. Okay, so I can go. Um, so my story is similar in like a, a lot of different ways. Some of the stuff you were saying was um, familiar to me, but not quite as like, I feel like yours is really extreme and I can't believe you like went through all of that. I like seriously can't even imagine. Like I've never done surgeries or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show like the the wide range of like experiences that can that all fall under like the infertility umbrella. <laughs> Cause like mm-hmm. no two people are gonna have the exact same story. Even if you have the same conditions. Like if two people yes. have endometriosis, their story is not going to look the same as yours. And lots of people exactly. have PCOS, which is what I have. And not everybody looks like nobody's going to look like my story. Anyways. Yes. <laughs> um, so Good points. I'll go really quick. So I mentioned this in our first episode, but I um, have always had really irregular cycles. Um, I started my period really like late. Like I was a late bloomer. I didn't have my first period until I was like 15 ish. Um, so pretty late. And then when, um, it did finally start coming, it has just like never been regular. I've always had really long cycles. And at first, you know, when you first start your period, that's considered pretty normal that it's not like immediately like super regular. Um, but then when I was like around 16, I went like a full nine months without having a period. My period finally came and I talk to my mom and I was, I just told her that. Cause I was like, I feel like this isn't supposed to happen <laughs> to go like almost a whole year with no period. Um, and so she's like, yeah, we should like probably take you. So she took me to, um, an OBGYN and she wasn't very helpful. <laughs> and I wish knowing now what I know, I would have like pushed for more testing and more treatment and like I'm so grateful that like now this type of information is so much more available because I think my mom would have also done the same thing. She just didn't know to, you know what I mean? Like she didn't know to push the doctor for more. And obviously I didn't, I was like 16. I had no idea. Um, So basically uh, we went and told her like, my cycles are super irregular and I didn't have a period for like nine months and I'm not sexually active. So I'm not pregnant. And, um, she was basically like, it said exactly what I just said, like, oh, well, it's really normal for, um, your period to be irregular, like as a teenager, that's, that's super normal, which (laughs) I just want to like put this out here. Like just because something is common doesn't mean that it's normal. That's not normal to have regular cycles. It's common, but it's not normal. (laughs) And I wish that that was practiced more by doctors. Um, So anyway, she basically was like, yeah. Oh, and we told her too, that there is a history of PCOS on my dad's side of the family. A couple of my aunts have PCOS. So like, we were like, that's probably what it is. Right. And she was like, she's like, yeah, probably. Um, but the, really the only way to like confirm that you have PCOS is by doing an ultrasound and looking at your ovaries. And like, we just don't really need to do that because you're not sexually active and you're not trying to get pregnant. So we'll just worry about that someday when you're married and you want to have kids. <laughs> and again, us at the giving time, the biggest eye roll ever. I know. Yeah. (laughs) So we didn't know any better. And so we were just like, oh, okay. Sounds good. Um, yeah, there's so many things I can say. (laughs) Um, but so she, she wanted to put me on birth control, but my, my mom was actually like 
against that. She was like, no, I don't want to put her on birth control because she did know enough to say, well, and she had actually had a really terrible experience on birth control. And so she was like, I don't want to do that to her. I don't want to put her on birth control. Is there something else we can do? And so basically she just prescribed me um, progesterone. So I would just take progesterone for like five days or something every cycle to like make a bleed happen so that I was bleeding regularly, which I am grateful for because going super long without having any kind of bleeding at all can lead to other complications. Um, it like increases your risk of uterine cancer or stuff like that. So at least that was happening, um, which was good. And that's what I did for like years until I got married when I was like 20. Um, and then at that point I went on birth control. So then, um, I was on birth control for like two years and then we started, we decided we were ready to start trying to get pregnant. So I went off birth control and I actually had an appointment with my doctor, um, when we decided we wanted to start trying, because that is like a smart thing to do when you decide you want to, um, start having kids. It's a good idea to like, go see your OB, tell them you don't want to take birth control anymore. If you are, <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody should be on hormonal birth control in the first place, but that could be yeah. another episode. That's for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I went and had a, an appointment and same thing. I was like, I have, I, you know, have always had these irregular cycles, like hoping for like some advice, some guidance, something. And she was like, yeah, okay. So stop, um, taking, uh, birth control. Uh, I think maybe she gave me a little advice on like how to watch for ovulation. And then was like, and if you start having problems, like give us a call. I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, we tried for like five-ish months um, until like I just, I was being very diligent about tracking my cycles and like just losing my mind. Those first like five or six months when, when we were trying to conceive was honestly probably the hardest because I was so obsessed with trying to get pregnant. It was all I could think about. I was sim like symptom spotting all the time. I was in like Facebook groups and forums and stuff that just, yeah, my mental health was really bad, <laughs> especially because Same. I kind of knew deep down inside that like, it wasn't going to work. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know exactly what you mean. That like something yeah. was wrong and that it probably wasn't going to work. So after like five months, I noticed my cycles were getting longer and longer in between. So I was like, I think we need help. So we went back to that same doctor um, and she transferred me to like, she was like just an OB and then she transferred me to like the OB gyne, you know, cause it's like, he, he could prescribe me Clomid and stuff, whereas she didn't do that. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of told him what was going on. He didn't examine me. He didn't do any testing. He just kind of listened to like my history of my cycles. And then he was like, okay, let's start you on Clomid. <laughs> no testing, no nothing, because he's not a fertility specialist. I didn't know any better at the time, really. And let, so. let me just add to the, like with the Clomid stuff, the reason there's many people who take it and then get pregnant kudos to you, but that stuff yeah. can jack with you really bad. <laughs> yeah. And now that I know like Clomid, um, isn't really super effective for people with PCOS. <laughs> yeah. And so I did, um, four or five rounds of Clomid. Um, and this, again, I still had not been diagnosed with PCOS at this point. Nobody had done any testing or anything on me. Um, so we did like four or five rounds of Clomid when they would just have me go in on like 
like cycle day 21 or something to test my progesterone to see if I had ovulated. And I never did. I never ovulated. Um, so then after that point, <laughs> we took a little bit of a break and then we went to a fertility clinic where that doctor finally did all the blood testing, did a, um, a transvaginal ultrasound. I did an HCG, like what you were talking about. And yes, it was super painful for me too. I absolutely hated it. And like they're, they play it down so much. They're like, okay, so it's probably just going to be a little crampy. And then it's like fire in my fallopian tubes. It was awful. I, I launched off the table. That's how bad it was yeah, for me. It was awful. So yeah, so we did all the testing and stuff and she was the one who diagnosed me with PCOS and she actually like before she even did any like ultrasound or testing or anything, just listening to me, she was like, I think you probably have PCOS and then confirmed it with all of that. And she called it like lean PCOS because there are a few different types um, of PCOS. They call it lean PCOS because I, it basically just means that like, I don't struggle as much with like the excess weight, weight gain that and, a lot yeah. of women deal with, um, with PCOS. So yeah. Um, yeah. So then from that point I did, I did like one cycle with that clinic, um, on letrozole instead of Clomid and then with a trigger shot as well. And then after that point I was done. <laughs> I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I could, I did, I couldn't do it again. And we haven't really been to a doctor since I had like one appointment with a NAPRO doctor like a year ago, but it still just like, didn't quite feel right. It, I wasn't ready to like jump back into like really trying to get pregnant. Um, and so, and I mentioned this in, in our first episode, but I've just been trying to focus more on like diet and exercise and lifestyle and trying to balance my hormones that way because with PCOS um it's that's what it is it's it's a hormone imbalance PCOS is like very much an umbrella term <laughs> that essentially means you're a woman and you have a hormone imbalance it can mean so many different things for so many different people um yes so, I mean there are a few common like things to watch out for like if you have excess um facial hair because uh, a lot of women with PCOS have elevated testosterone so you'll like have a lot of excess like facial hair or even like chest hair um mm -hmm. stuff like that if you really struggle with weight gain and you really struggle to lose weight um and then obviously like irregular cycles where you don't ovulate that is like the number one thing <laughs> with PCOS, yes. but like, it's kind of a misnomer because it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, but you actually don't even have to have cysts on your ovaries to have PCOS. It is not a requirement. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah. And I guess I should say too, the way that she like identified it, they, they look at your ovaries and can tell that you have PCOS because there's like a bajillion follicles in there because you basically yes. never, never. It's like opposite of what I have with diminished yeah. ovarian reserve where you're going to yes. see yeah. few follicles. Yes. Um, yeah. Like I, when they tested my AMH, 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 <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. It was like off the charts. It was like, I don't even remember what the regular like range was. I think mine was like 11 or something, which is like crazy. Yeah. High. I think it's like, Normally, and, and this is again, and we're going to, we'll talk about this on another episode to like, give you guys more ideas of why you can't be identified to your number is 
low doesn't mean no high doesn't mean yes right so when people are like if you do i like for example if like i did ivf only got a few follicles and then didn't end up getting any embryos embryos if someone like abby was to do it she might get like freaking 40 eggs yeah probably. but I've that doesn't before. equal that you'll get a certain am amount of so that's another thing to keep in mind is like when you're oh i wish i had just like a crazy high it's always about the quality and that's where i think you you know alluded to yeah with wanting to balance your own hormones and take care of yourself. Because if you ever did want to go any other medical route, any more medical intervention, you need to make sure you're also taking care of yourself first. Yes. That's a lot of money, a lot of money to invest if you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. But that's a really good point. Just like, just because you have a, a high AMH doesn't really increase your chances of <laughs> getting pregnant at all, because that doesn't say anything about the quality of, of the yes. that you do have. Um, so yeah. I'm like trying to think. I think that's, that's pretty much it. Um, oh, I was going to say, I did an episode. If you scroll back in the feed of this podcast, back when it was just me doing it, I had, um, her name's Corey Ruth. Her handle is, um, the women's dietitian on Instagram. And she specializes specifically in helping women with PCOS. Um, she's like a certified dietitian and she knows a ton about PCOS. I had her on and she did a full episode talking all about PCOS and gave a lot of really great tips, um, for how to like manage PCOS using, um, your diet and like lifestyle and stuff. So if you want to go back and listen to that and that that's a really great episode to listen to. Awesome. Yeah. And this, I mean, we kind of wanted to keep this podcast just to the point for you guys to listen to, get a, to know a little bit more about us. So if you listen to this one and we'll have a post probably up, feel free to let us know in the comment section, any questions you have for us, because like we said, we're going to go more in depth into this stuff and maybe the testing we did and stuff to look for and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully this gave you a little bit more insight into exactly why this is going to be really fun well, not fun, but you know what we're saying. Um, really intriguing to see, like, we are both women going through infertility, but completely different diagnoses. So basically, like, my advice to her wouldn't be helpful. Her advice to me probably wouldn't be helpful. This is why we kind of tell people don't run with advice. More so, maybe just allow people to tell you what might be going on for them instead of, because, you know, surgery is not going to necessarily help Abby, right? So... Yeah. It's like, it's just things like that, just to like, kind of keep your mind open to like, just hearing people's stories and, and also with your own story is like being okay with just getting data, getting information for yourself and not yes. comparing your journey to someone else's. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Information is power. That's, that's like my big thing. <laughs> do, do whatever you can. To I get totally agree. About you and your own body, um, because that's just going to help you be able to like advocate for yourself more. 100%. Totally agree. All right. Awesome. Well, this one was a little bit more short and sweet. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, go join the Facebook group. There's links to the Facebook group, um, both of our Instagrams in the show notes. And be sure to leave a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>